Hello again, Fight fans. Welcome to episode 235 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Great show lined up for you guys today. We have one of the great, the true, I, I just think one of the best boxing minds we have right now, Stephen Redman Edwards, is going to join us today on the show. Every single time. I talked to the bread man and I've spoken with him both in a, in a business context, you know, working at events and stuff. And I've spoken with him, um, you know, off the record, just personally, every single time I speak with him, I feel like I either learn something completely new or I hear a, a different perspective on something that I hadn't previously considered. So I really do consider it a, a, a privilege every time I speak with him. So I think you guys are going to love having him on the show. Anyway, uh, TNC 235, week of September 5. We are already almost in September. Um, awesome, man, that uh, 2020 is almost over because this year sucks. Nah, just kidding. I actually got married last week. There are positive, good things happening this year, guys. You can't let the media and all the craziness going on in the world uh, make you think it's all negative. There's still plenty of great things happening out there, including this show. And by the way, guys, as I always remind you to do, Please uh, retweet the show, get it out there for the masses to hear, all right? That's the best thing you guys can do to help me out is just spread the word. Get people talking about the show, all right? That's the way that you guys can help support more than anything. I want to do something a little different this week. A few of you have talked about um, just the, the format of the show. It's been kind of chaotic in recent weeks. We've had calls all over the place, and and the news and notes has gotten pushed back to later in the show. And you suggested I put that all at the top of the show like I used to do. So that's what we're going to do this week, okay? I'm going to get into news and notes, review, preview, and then we're going to have uh, Breadman call in probably in about 30 minutes, all right? That's going to be 5.30 Eastern time. So, and then we'll take your calls, okay? So for those of you, and I already see it, we got a few calls already on the line. Please give me a call back uh, in a little while, all right? I want to get through some news and notes and hit the news items, uh, the review, we had some good fights last week, quick preview, and then we'll get to the guests, we'll get to your calls, okay? Uh, so thank you very, very much for your patience there. Let's jump right into it, man. And we're going to start with some ratings news. Um, you know, I don't want to become a ratings bro, but I do think this stuff is is interesting and it, it matters, all right? So the Porter vs. Formella PBC on Fox card uh, a week or so back, uh, Saturday night, last, last Saturday night. Averaged 800,000 viewers. That is the lowest in the history of PBC on Fox. Now, PBC has been around since, what, 2015? Maybe even 2014. I think 2015. But either way, and you're talking five or six years. This is the lowest average for a PBC on Fox broadcast. And, well, let me keep going here. So this is why I got slightly concerned, okay? I want to just compare some of these numbers because I know what a lot of you guys are going to say. Man, Ratings are down across the board. Well, that's somewhat true, yes, but it's not entirely true because there are some sports outperforming. I think golf has been doing great numbers, and, and there are some sporting events that have been doing really good, solid numbers. But yes, generally speaking, across the board, ratings are down, some more than others. The NBA, I get it. They, their, their numbers right now are abysmal, but that's self-inflicted. They're doing that to themselves, right? But 
and it's because they've taken such a hard line politically. They're basically telling half the country that they're stupid. And they're lecturing to people. They're shoving it down people's throats. It's okay to have a political opinion and express that, as pretty much all of these sports leagues have done. But the NBA has gone way, way over the top. And they're the biggest hypocrites of all. Because I talked about you know the fact that they're profiteering off of slave labor in China and everything else, right? Boxing hasn't taken that stance. We've seen a few fighters um, speak about politics and everything, but they've done it in, it, from what I've seen, they've done it in an objective, logical, reasonable way. Even if you disagree with their points or whether you completely agree with their points. I don't think any fighters or platform have gone over the top politically. So I don't think it has anything to do with the political situation in the country right now. I do think it's somewhat related to the, the poor matchups we've seen. But I want to talk about Porter Formella because, again, okay, it averaged 800,000 viewers. The main event peaked at 1.2 million viewers. Compare that to Porter Ugas from about a year and a half ago. Okay, it was early 2019. PBC on Fox, that averaged 2.1 million. It peaked at 2.2 million. So, and some of you will say, well, Ugas is a much better fighter than Formella. Yeah, I hear you. But hear me. Is... Jordanus Ugas, a more well-known fighter than Sebastian Formella among casual boxing fans, casual sports fans. I don't think he is, right? Amongst diehard fans, sure. Ugas is a damn good fighter. He's one of the best welterweights in the world. So Porter Ugas was a much better matchup than Porter Formella. But my question to you, was that a bigger matchup to the casual fight fan? I don't think so. In terms of name recognition, I don't think so. So for Sean Porter, who is a mainstay, he's, he's a regular face on the PBC on Fox broadcast. He does commentary work all the time. All the stuff they did on FS1 when they had shows going over there, he was, he was a fixture on those shows. People know him. Fans know him. He's been in some of the biggest welterweight fights over the last few years. For Sean Porter to go from, and he's the A-side here, main event A-side, to go from averaging 2.1 million viewers to 800,000, that's slightly concerning. Now, I posted a tweet with a poll. You guys know I love my polls. And I asked you how concerned you were about the post-quarantine ratings with boxing because they've been down across the board, right? The, the top rank ESPN series was low. Um, all of these cards have been low. Everything on Fox, Showtime, you name it. Let's see. Uh, 16% of you said pretty damn concerned. 30% of you said a little concerned. 45% of you said viewers will return soon. And 8.7% of you said, I'm done with boxing. I don't believe you people. You've all said that before and you always come back. But I do find it interesting that essentially about 45% of you were either very or slightly concerned. Another 45% of you were like, yeah, the viewers will come back. They'll come back eventually. So it's kind of half and half, man. Okay, uh, wow. Super chat pledge from Chris Singh. Thank you so much, Chris. He says, congratulations on the wedding. I can't thank you enough for that super chat. That's awesome, brother. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. I just, thank you so much, Chris. Guys, I, by the way, I appreciate all the love. Uh, you know, I tweeted about my wedding um, that I had last Thursday. And I, I won't go into it too much on the show. I'll just tell you real, real briefly, courts were closed. And me and my wife, we wanted to get married on our seven-year anniversary, which just happened to be last Thursday. But because of COVID, you know, everything being closed, 
uh, we weren't able to do anything that we had originally planned, like because we've been talking about getting married for a couple years. So we just said, screw it. And we eloped and we went to a judge's office. They have a, an office. And this, this woman married us. And my, my parents, my sister and her husband drove down, uh, down here to Atlanta to be our witnesses. And we just went, signed the papers, went out and got dinner. That was it. But it was uh, a, a nice weekend, you know, just to be around family. And it's nice to have it be official. You know what I'm saying? And anyway, there was an outpouring of love and everything from you guys on social media. It means the world to us. I mean, me and Tiffany looked at every damn comment, every tweet, everything. Thank you so, so much. Seriously. All right. Um, Adrian Broder didn't have as good of a week as I had. He was sentenced to seven days in jail for violating probation. Does anybody really give a shit anymore? I, I don't really care about Adrian Broner news. It's the same shit over and over. If this was any of us that had screwed up this many times, okay? If it was me or you that had screwed up as many times as Adrian Broner, we sure as hell would not be getting seven days in jail. It would be seven years. This dude is so privileged and pampered. He gets away with this shit all the time, and he's going to walk right into a seven-figure payday at some point next year in a fight he doesn't deserve. You know what's going to happen. So screw it. I'm sick of talking about him. Terrence Crawford versus Kell Brook being discussed. I don't hate this fight, but I don't like this fight. Notice I didn't say I don't love. I said I don't like. I don't like it. I don't hate it. I'm just kind of, eh, it is what it is. Um, you know, look, if, if it's on regular ESPN and that fight happens, the PBC guys are flat out ducking Terrence Crawford. If you don't believe that by now, then you're blind or you're biased. That entire platform rarely even mentions his existence, right? So how many, how many opponents are there right now? All the guys at 140 that Top Rank has invested in, they will eventually be at 47. Bud's going to have opponents in 2021, 2022. But right now, who the hell can he fight? You guys want to see him fight Sebastian Formella? Uh, you know, Kel Brook isn't a top welterweight anymore, but he still beats the brakes off Sebastian Formella. So as long as it's on regular ESPN, fine. All right, let's get into some review. Last Wednesday, August 26th, ESPN Plus, Tim Zhu, TKO 8 win over Jeff Horn. A fight that should have been stopped probably in the fourth round. Continued all the way to almost the eighth. Uh, Horn was down twice in the third, twice in the sixth. Was not in this fight for a minute of it. This was an absolute beatdown. And look, Zhu is a good-looking junior middleweight prospect. This was a test for him, and he passed it with flying colors. He aced it. He got 100% on this exam, okay? However, I think people need to slow down just a little bit. Horn is a spent bullet. He shot to hell. And, you know, shame on Glenn Rushton in his corner for letting Horn take an unnecessary beating. And instead, you know, we, he, he really could have stopped this fight after the third where Horn was dropped twice or give him one more round and then stop it before the fifth. But uh, Horn has not been, not that he was ever an elite level fighter, but he was kind of a pit bull in there. He was, you know, he had that physicality that could give guys problems. It gave Pacquiao some problems. Uh, it gave several good, solid fighters some issues. That guy's gone. Th that granite has been chipped away, and he's very, very soft now. I'm not saying this to be disrespectful. I'm just saying um, Horn's not going to beat any top 10 fighters right now. 
maybe not even a top 20 fighter. He's just not at that level. So while it was a good, good uh, test, a, a good performance from Zhu, uh, one of Horn's quartermen I saw, I think it was like on the Daily Guardian or one of these newspapers over in the UK. I think it was in the UK. Um, one of his corners uh, said that Horn was completely gassed. I'm quoting. Those were the words he used. Completely gassed after the second round. He said that in the post-fight interview. Well, then why the hell did you leave him in for five more rounds? I, I thought that was a really bad look for one of his cornermen to say that almost as an excuse. But it makes you look really bad. You know, he's, and he was trying to like spin it by saying, oh, he got by on heart after that. Well, yeah, but you still let him take a beating, bro. Anyway, good job by Zoo, but everyone just relax, okay? He needs to step it up. Again, there's going to be another test following this at some point next year where he's going to have to fight a guy in the top 15 or so that's in their physical prime, and we'll have to see how he looks then. 154 is a good division. There are some damn good fighters in that division right now, okay, at the very top and then at the, the gatekeeper level. I would like to see Zoo by the end of next year, fight one of those gatekeepers. That's what I'd like to see. And I don't consider Horn one of them. Saturday, August 29th, Daniel Dubois. TKO2 win over Ricardo Schneiders from the Netherlands. Dropped him three or four times, I think, with body shots, particularly left hooks to the body. I like what I see in Daniel Dubois. However, this guy, you know, was a complete punching bag. And it's no disrespect to, to Schneiders. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. But, uh, by the way, ESPN picked this up. This was a Queensberry card from London. I should mention that. ESPN has uh, been picking up a lot of cards lately. So if you're a diehard fight freak, there's plenty of material for you. But uh, Dubois looked, to me, a little stiff in this fight. But I don't think he needed to even move his head. When you shoot down to the body, particularly when you're a 6'5", 6'6", guy, you got you to gotta move the head a little bit. And he was just kind of reaching down and slamming the dude to the body. But he was getting no return fire. I would have liked to have seen him faint up with the right hand, slip down, put a right hand in Snyder's face just to blind him a little bit and get his head off the line and cork with that front foot as he shot the left hook to the body. He didn't really do that. He just kind of stayed tall and reached down. That could cost him against a different level of fighter. But... Maybe he was just fighting, you know, to the level of opposition. Either way, he is uh, one step closer to that fight with Joe Joyce, which I do think is going to be a good competitive heavyweight fight. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm hearing October for that fight. So that's going to be awesome. And then uh, real quick, we'll talk about PBC on Fox from Los Angeles. This was two weeks in a row that PBC on Fox just had uh, pretty crappy cards. And look, a lot of the top-ranked cards were crappy during their bubble series okay like i totally get it but um i I just on fox you would think because pbc has fox and showtime and they have such a solid schedule over on showtime and they put all the crap on fox and i just don't understand that because there's such a there's just a much bigger audience top rank put a lot of crap on espn but they've also followed now with this second wave of their bubble series with some damn good cards and PBC on Fox just doesn't have anything right now. Anyway, uh, I don't want to beat up on them, but here's Lundy Lara against Greg Vendetti. This was a sparring session. It was like Porter Formella. This was a sparring session. And when you see a mismatch like that, you at least want to see dominance. And you saw dominance in one form because it was basically a shutout in terms of rounds. 
but you never saw Lara step on it. Just the same way you never saw Porter put a dent in uh, Formella a couple of weeks ago, even though he hit him, I want to say 300 plus times he landed punches, didn't even scratch the kid. So it just looked like a sparring session. That's what we saw with Lara and Vendetti. Somehow this, this complete mismatch, and this is no disrespect to Vendetti at all. I don't mean any disrespect, but this was a complete mismatch, okay? Somehow this is sanctioned for a WBA world title. Go figure. Also in the co-main, Vladimir Hernandez, a last-second replacement for Caleb Truax, uh, wins unanimous decision in a 10-rounder against Alfredo Angulo. Each guy threw over 1,000 punches, zero defense, all offense. Can somebody that cares about Alfredo Angulo, someone who loves him, have a, have a talk, okay? He had a good, solid win last year, and that earned him another spot on TV and everything. But, dude... He just he took hundreds more punches in this fight. He's been through a lot of tough wars. If he can't beat fighters at this level, no disrespect to Hernandez, Ngulu's done, okay? And he's kind of, he had that big surprising performance last year and an upset, <clears throat> upset win, but someone has to have a hard talk with him. They really, really do. Because this guy is going to take punishment that's going to change his life at some point. Okay, the big card Saturday was in Las Vegas, uh, top rank ESPN plus and in the undercard Arnold Barboza jr. A 140 pound prospect stayed perfect uh, with a, with a unanimous decision win. I like this kid, nice skills and everything, but zero power. And that's just at 140 and at one, eventually he'll be at 147. Those are pretty stacked divisions. Those divisions have a lot of international global talent. If he ain't got the power to keep dudes off and he doesn't have, high level what i would call high high level truly elite level boxing craft it's, he's just not going to be able to get it done at the top level that's what i see anyway we'll find out and undefeated welterweight prospect elvis rodriguez he stayed perfect with a, another big knockout win now this kid has power this kid has legit power he's fought nothing but punching bags so far but he's getting the punching bags out of there so um i'm excited about elvis rodriguez also, okay, main event. Jose Carlos Ramirez, majority decision win over Victor Postal, defends his WBC and WBO 140-pound titles. So, for some reason, this was a controversial decision on boxing Twitter. And I'll be 100% honest, I did not watch this live. In fact, I didn't go on Twitter to see any spoilers, none of that. I was celebrating with my family because of my wedding last weekend. I watched this Sunday. I went on a plus and I, I watched, you know, streamed it, checked it out, scored it. And I had a 115, 113 for Ramirez. I thought you could go as wide as 116, 112, honestly. I thought you could score the draw for Postal, but you'd have to really, really favor his style. But I went to Twitter and I saw a lot of people were really upset by this decision. And they were saying it was, I saw the word robbery used. I'm sorry, guys. That's just not the fight I saw. I saw a competitive fight. I saw a close fight. I saw Postol's jab carry enough uh, of the momentum in a few rounds to clearly win those rounds. I saw Ramirez's aggression. Sometimes it was ineffective, but there were times, particularly toward the second half of the fight, the middle rounds toward the second half, where his aggression was effective, and he snapped Postol's head back, and he landed the more effective punches. 
And he also was controlling the real estate for enough of those rounds that I thought he won. I, I, I had no issue with these scorecards. In fact, the scorecards for uh, Postal's fight against Josh Taylor were much worse than the scorecards here because I again Josh Taylor clearly beat Victor Postal. Don't don't misunderstand me. And he, I think he dropped him too in that fight if I remember correctly. But the scorecards were like 119, 109 or something. Like I remember the scorecards being like 10 rounds to two, 11 rounds to one. That was not that fight. Okay, that was a close competitive fight that uh, Taylor clearly won. But it was close and competitive. And that's what I saw here. Now, Taylor beat Postal more decisively than Ramirez did. But I saw nothing controversial about these scorecards. In fact, one judge had it a draw. So I thought one judge was giving Postal the benefit of the doubt in those swing rounds. Speaking of Victor Postal, I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying that, you know, he got ripped off, this, that, the other. He controlled the jab. Yes, he did. He did control the jab. And Postal, he has three losses now. Two competitive losses with Josh Taylor in 2018 and Ramirez in 2020. But he was absolutely dominated by Terrence Crawford in 2016. So first of all, that shows the level of Terrence Crawford and how special he is. Because remember, Crawford beat an undefeated Victor Postal, who was coming off that win against uh, Matisse, I do believe. So that shows Terrence Crawford's level. He is legit. Terrence Crawford is one of the best fighters in the world. Now, Taylor and Ramirez have potential to get there, but they're going to have to work much, much harder. It's going to require uh, more to, to get to that point. With Crawford, you just clearly see the distinction, okay? But you can dominate a fight off the jab. There are fights that I can point you guys to. Uh, Golovkin Jacobs is one in particular. Look at what Golovkin's jab did in that fight to Jacobs. It set up a knockdown for him, but it also helped him control the real estate. He was moving Jacobs back for much of that fight, and he was controlling the mid-range and things from the outside. He even uh, controlled some of the real estate on the inside. But what I saw in that fight was one dude's jab effectively setting the pace and the distance of the fight. That is not what I saw with Postal and Ramirez. Now, Postal has a beautiful jab. His punches are so straight. He's one of the straightest punchers in all of boxing right now. I, I remember there was a few few rounds where I just rewatched him just to see the dude's one-two. It's so unbelievably straight. <laughs> but there's nothing behind it. And he's doing it off the back foot. Now, it's one thing if you're doing it off the back foot to bait your opponent, and Ramirez is a, is a swarmer, right? He's a pressure fighter. Okay, you want to stay on the back foot, shoot some pity pat straight shots, get your guy to reach, then you counter with a hook. You counter with an uppercut. You hit him with something, spin him, and hit him as you're spinning him, spinning him right? That's how you control the real estate, and you be the boss in there. And that's not what Postal was doing. He was staying on the back foot just to avoid return fire. And it worked a lot of times. He made Ramirez miss a lot, but he didn't always make him pay. The guy that was moving forward and pressing the fight was Ramirez. Was a lot of his aggression ineffective and sloppy? And quite frankly, at times it appeared amateurish? Yes, yes. But Postal wasn't doing any of that. And I didn't see him jab, 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 turn. Jab, 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 turn. I didn't see him jab, 
bait his opponent to come in, make a miss, then one, two. It was just one, two on the outside, jab, jab on the outside, stay back. It wasn't jab, slip, boom, right? It, I didn't see that sort of thing happening. So I don't think Postal did enough to clearly control more than six rounds of that fight. In fact, again, I, I really think you can make a case that Ramirez won 116-112. So um, a lot was made about the back and forth between Andre Ward and Timothy Bradley uh, disagreeing with their scores and all that. I try not to get too caught up in that shit. Honestly, guys, have you not noticed them playing that up a little bit more each week with each broadcast? Do you not think they might be trying to do what uh, what Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman do? Guys, a lot of that shit's scripted. I'm not saying they sit in a boardroom and write it all out, but I do think there's a little nudge from Joe Tessitore to be like, hey, man, can I play this shit up a little bit? People you know, on Twitter are talking about it. So Bradley goes one way, Ward goes the other way. They argue a little bit. It gets people talking. Don't pay into that stuff too much, okay? And yet, At the end of the day, I do think Andre Ward's scorecard, I, I think he had it a little, way too one-sided up front. But I think in the end, he had the right score. I think, I think uh, Dre had it 115, 113 for Ramirez, maybe 116, 112. And again, those are both reasonable scores, okay? So now everyone's talking about, well, Taylor's going to destroy Ramirez. When they fight, Josh Taylor. I am not so sure about that. I'm not, okay? Yes, Taylor did look better. Taylor Taylor has a better resume right now, I believe, than Ramirez. I really do think so. And in terms of styles, he looked better against Posto, who, who's a spoiler. His whole thing is to make you look bad. He, he made Terrence Crawford look boring as shit. No one liked that fight, okay? But... In terms of styles, Taylor ain't going to stay on the back foot like Postol did. He ain't going to stay long behind those super long arms and those super straight punches. He's going to come forward and be in tight space with Ramirez. That is exactly what Ramirez wants. Taylor is also going to be willing to mix it up with him on the inside. Now, Taylor has shown an inside fighting ability. He has shown that he's a real dog and he's got that nasty streak in him. So it's going to give Ramirez uh, opportunities to open up against him. If he can get Taylor to miss and make him pay, that fight's going to be competitive, guys. Just think about it in terms of styles. Taylor is a southpaw, and he's going to come right downhill with that straight southpaw, uh, straight left hand. It's going to hit the target. It's going to land on Ramirez. But Ramirez has shown a damn good chin. He has shown a good chin so far, and we've seen Taylor cut up and swell up a little bit, right? So I'm just telling you, heads could clash, cuts could happen, uh, welts and bruises could happen, eyes could close up. All that sort of X-Factor stuff, in my opinion, benefits Ramirez right now, okay? Now, we'll break this down a lot in, in detail once we get closer to that fight happening. It ain't happening until next year. I think both guys... Uh, well, Taylor has a fight coming up that I believe is a mandatory. I think Ramirez will have a mandatory before then. Don't quote me on that. I'm just going off the top of my head here. They're going to fight next year. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a damn good fight. But do I favor Taylor? Yes, I do. Do I favor him 80-20? No. But in my opinion, that's 60-40 right now in favor of Taylor. Okay, now maybe I'll be proven wrong. It won't be the first time. But I do think Ramirez did not look as good in this fight against Postal as he will against Taylor. 
Ramirez is the kind of guy that is not going to thrive in an, in an environment like the bubble, in an atmosphere like that. Also remember, this fight with Postal, I think, was delayed three different times. So there was, you know, starting camp, stopping, starting, stopping. Uh, it had been 13 months since Ramirez had fought. That was the longest layoff of his career. All those things affected his performance. He also, I think, is going to thrive in front of fans, even if the fans are booing him, right? He even said after the fight with Postal, uh, let's do that fight in the UK because there will be fans over there. I want to go over there so there will be fans because they're going to open it up sooner than the United States. So that tells you right there, even if the fans are booing the hell out of him, he's going to thrive off that more so than being in the bubble where it's this stale, quiet environment. So trust me, Ramirez will look better when he fights Taylor. If I'm Taylor and his people, I'm telling him, listen, don't take this dude lightly, okay? This was not the top form of Ramirez. He's going to look a lot better when you see him in the UK next year. And just in terms of styles, I'm telling you guys, that's going to be a competitive fight. Real quick, Super Chat pledges. We got two of them from Harrison Property. Thank you so much, my man. He says, heavens to Murgatroyd, Mike, you look somewhat different. You look married now. <laughs> Congrats, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Honestly, guys, I don't feel any different, man. All we did was sign a piece of paper. I feel the same way today as I felt uh, last week. But I will say it feels good to make it official. Another super chat from Harrison Property. He says, do you see Tim Zhu winning a world title, Mike? And if so, against whom? Thanks, buddy. Uh, yes, I do see Tim Zhu eventually winning a title at 54, maybe 60. Do I see him becoming the champion of a division? No, I don't see that yet. But I do think he's going to win titles. Uh, particularly, it depends who he gets aligned with politically. But I could see him fighting for you know one of the WBA's 500 titles or the WBO title at some point uh, over there in Australia. And I could, I think he's going to win a title. Absolutely, he's going to win a world title. That would be my prediction. All right, guys, let's uh, let's bring our guest on here. I believe this is him. Let me jump over to the phone lines here. Let's talk some boxing with Mr. Stephen Breadman Edwards. Breadman, is that you? Yes, it is. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you being on the show, brother. Um, it's great to have you on, man. Um, first of all, well, you know what? You're you're just outside of Philly, I believe. I just wanted to ask, you know, what's going on there with the COVID situation in relation to gyms? Are you guys, you got your guys back in the gym training? What's the protocol there? Um, You know what? I try to go in the gym at uh, a, uh, like, rent out my own little space where I'm going. When I go in, there's nobody else in there. Because a lot of people don't know this, man, but about, a month ago, I caught the COVID, and um, it was brutal, uh, Mike. Damn. I mean, it really was brutal, man. For all of the people that says uh, that say that is not real, and you know they they make it seem like it's a government host. I I thought I was going like pass away, man. It was that bad. I lost 15 pounds. You know, I didn't talk about it publicly, but it was it was probably the worst thing I've ever experienced physically. So I take it super serious. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely a real thing. Um, I think the media, look, I don't like the media period. I think they, they engage in fear porn, but it's interesting. You know, you say mm -hmm. that you had such a bad reaction to it. I've talked to several people that 
had almost no reaction. And then I've talked to other people that struggled with it for like two weeks. So it seems to like hit people so differently. What were your symptoms? I mean, did it feel like a bad flu or did it feel like something else? Uh, it came more like a flu. Okay. But then it changed. It, um, it started to, um, first off, the first thing that I noticed, I started getting like a little cough. And then I started getting a headache, and the headache became progressively worse. And then I lost my sense of taste and smell, you know. And, you know, my friends and family were just were, were saying, like, just eat, Steve, just eat. And I'm like, it's just not that simple. You can't really – It's I don't know if it's a physical thing or a psychological thing, but I couldn't eat. It wasn't that I didn't want to eat. I couldn't eat. So I lost my sense of taste and smell, and – it attacks like your nervous system because I couldn't sleep, Mike. Like, yeah. I, like for two straight days, I just stayed up all night, and it's like a feeling of like just uneasiness and discomfort. Like it's almost like you're like in a state of paranoia, and I could see why like so many people have passed away from it because mm-hmm. you're like weak mentally. It like breaks your uh, it breaks your spirit. It like breaks your willpower, and 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 then and then you'll like get a little better. And then it will drop you back down. Then you'll get a little better, and it'll drop you back down. And I'm, I'm fine now. And I'm 100 percent now, and I'll probably gain 10 to 15 pounds back that I lost. But man, I was in bad shape, bro. I'm telling you, like it was like it was getting to the point where I was like, damn, this must be what it feels like to pass away. I couldn't wow. like the, the non-sleeping part. It was like it was bad, man. And I was and you break out in these brutal sweats. So, like, I felt, like, crazy. Like, I was, like, taking, like, five, six showers a day because the sweats are, like, I can't even explain them. Like, my skin was sticky. It Like, I didn't even have clothes on. I literally was walking around with, like, towels wrapped around my body for, like, three of the days of the two-week, uh, you know, stint. It, it's, man, it, it really screwed me up, man. Wow. Thank you so much for just opening up about this, man. Um I, I honestly, Breadman, I think people need to hear this because there are people out there that do think it's all bullshit and it's clearly not. And well, they need to hear somebody like you man. talk about it. Were you, were you quarantined at your house? When did you, okay. So I got a few yeah. questions. When did you find I, uh, out it was COVID I, uh, for starters? I was, I, I got tested. I got tested up at a fight. Um, in Connecticut for the Stephen Fulton car. Remember, he was supposed to fight Angelo Leo? Yes. So I got tested up there, and I came back positive. And they immediately quarantined us and sent us home. And um, as, as I'm driving home, which is a four-hour drive from Connecticut to Philly, I just told my wife, like, get the kids out of the house. Go to your mom's. I'm going to quarantine in the basement. You know, uh, I got the COVID. And she was like, are you shitting me? And it was horrible, man, because I'm like, I'm a real active dad, and my kids were running in the um, in the uh, junior AAU Junior Olympics the following week. I couldn't even go, mm-hmm. so I was like, that was one. It's as weird as it may sound. That's one of the first things I'm thinking about. Like I wasn't even thinking about missing the pay of the fight. I'm like, damn, man, I'm not gonna be able to go see my kids run. So when I got home, she was gone, and I just went. I didn't touch anything. I just went straight in the basement, and you know. I just started fighting it. Like, I mean, that's all I can say. I just like, and, and I tested negative exactly two weeks later. Okay. And 
I hired a, a, a company that does like the disinfecting and um, sterilizing fog. I hired that company. They came in and sprayed my entire house down. They charge you by the square foot. And then um, I let I told them to come back maybe like two days later. Okay. So that's pretty much how I fought it. So I didn't, um, you know, infect anybody in my household, which is good because I have an eight and a nine-year-old. So you just, you stayed at home pretty much by yourself, locked up in the basement for two weeks where you couldn't sleep, you can't not, eat, you're sweating all day. Holy shit. Not pretty much. That's what it was. Wow. And then, you know, like my family and my wife, they would just like drop food and, um, well, not even really food. It was like, you know, grapes and watermelon and like peaches because that's all I could eat really was fruit. Uh, Pedialyte, um, Gatorade, waters and stuff like that. And then I just fought, man. You know what I mean? It's, it's really nothing anybody could do for you. You know, uh, Joe Goosen called me a few times to check on me and Virgil Hunter, things like that. But it's, it's, it's not much you can do. Wow. I don't know how to segue into boxing after that. Uh, well, listen, man, I'm glad I mean, to hear that man, you're better. You know, I'm not the, I'm not the kind of guy that tries to get sympathy and stuff like that. So I didn't talk about it on social media mm-hmm. or anything like that because it was real to me. Like I was like, I was really under the gun, man. I was saying like, it, it, it really did me in, man. You know, and I hear some of these social media arguments. I hear some of these social media arguments and I'm like, I'm like, man, you guys are crazy. If you think this is a hoax, <laughs> I mean, cause you know, <laughs> I mean, I hope, I hope it's just very insane, but you know, man, it ain't my job to convince everybody, you know? Hey, do you, do you have any idea where you think you caught it or how do you have any guess? I'm sure you had to be thinking about that, you know, laid up in the basement. Um, well, well, our team, everybody on Stephen Fulton's team had it. Oh, so it's a so, whole damn team? I mean, remember Stephen Fulton had to pull out of the fight with Angelo Leo? Yeah, but I didn't know Stephen it was the whole team. 40, uh, I didn't know it was everybody. Yeah, so our, our team, um, I was like fine that Sunday because I tested and I was negative. And then I, um, you know, I, I tested sun, uh, Tuesday leading up to fight week. And then, um, they said I was positive. So, um, you know, I'm assuming, you know, it's just, you know, all, all the members of our team caught it. Okay. All tested positive. Okay. Well, I mean, considering everything that you went through with that, how do you conduct training going forward? I mean, with, with whether it's J-Rock or I think you were working with Zachary Ochoa, um, Fulton, whoever. I mean, the kids just – the kids just have to test, you know, I mean, I'm not like gun shy, you know, I'm not retiring from training fighters, you know, it's just that the kids are going to have to test. Everybody's going to have to keep a mask to keep any, everybody out of the gym. I mean, it, it's going to be tough. You know, um, I've been asked this question by a lot of like people in boxing, like, how did you feel? What can we do to make things better? I mean, it's really nothing anybody could do because you really can't police people after you leave the gym. And right. everybody's not quarantining. You know what I'm saying, Mike? And then yeah. you got sparring partners, and you don't know where they've been and things like that. And boxing is a close-quarter sport. You're punching each other in the face. So when the kid comes back to the corner, you're putting Vaseline on him, you're taking his mouthpiece out. It, you know, it's it's tough, you know? I mean, I wear gloves in the gym. Um, 
I got the face shield, okay. you know, and the, the the fighters themselves, they just have to just, you know, when you have a fight, if you don't want to screw up your money, you got to train and go home and quarantine and stay away from people and, and keep your mask on, you know, until the country can get over this. You know, I really, I'm not a pandemic expert, but you just got to just uh, limit your contact with people. The more contact you earn with people, the greater your chances, uh, the greater your chances are of getting it. Especially in a place like a gym where, you know, boxing gyms in particular, you think of how humid it gets, where things can fester, you know, yeah. um, it's just and, so and, different. And, and, and it's, it is. I, I actually told a kid today, to, 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 I'm like, man, we're social distancing. You, you see my bags right here. You come get changed two feet away from my bag. It's, 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 it's three people in the gym. Why are you, why are you this close to me? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was crazy. I literally, and I didn't mean to hurt his feelings, man, but I had that shit, Mike. I don't want to catch it again. I'm like, man, just go over to the other side. There's no reason for you to be this close to my gym bag. Right. You know, so it's tough, man. You know, and everybody doesn't respect it, you know, because the thing is, is that for every person like me, there's somebody else that acts like it's just a cold or it's just the flu or the symptoms aren't real. And, and, and that's what the problem is, you know, because it, it does affect everybody differently. I mean, yes. look at Tony Harrison's dad. He passed away. Right. You know, so I, I don't know why we live in a society where everybody's so stubborn. But, you know. I blame the media, even uh, though I'm a I member guess. of the media. I'm going to yeah. blame the media. I just, it's, it, I feel like the media, particularly on an election year, just, they just want to divide people because that drives their income. And um, it just, People just need to hear the damn truth. So thank you very much for just opening up and talking about this. You know, I know I already said that, but I, I just want to reiterate, I, I think it's important that people hear this. Wherever you sit on the political spectrum, listen to Breadman talk about this. He went through this for two weeks, you know, and you're a healthy young guy. I think that was a big part of this, you know, because they say, of course, people yeah, with pre-existing yeah. conditions, that's the overwhelming majority of the deaths. But you're a healthy young guy with no pre-existing conditions, and this kicked your ass for two weeks. So it can happen to anybody. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yep, it can. Cause I have, I have no pre-existing conditions. It just, it just got my system, man, and it just ran rampant. Well, I don't know again how to transition. <laughs> but I would like to talk to boxing. <laughs> That's all right. A little bit. Hey, hey Mike, like, I'm not going to think you're being insensitive. No, okay. <laughs> you're the first person I told publicly. Well, so I, I really appreciate you opening up about that on my show. And, you know, I said it at the beginning of the show, we, we've spoken both in a, in a professional sense and in a, you know, off the record, you know, personal sense. And every time I talk to you, and you just proven me correct here. But uh, I said this at the top of the show. Every time I talk to you, I either learn something new or I have given a different perspective on a particular issue that I had not previously considered. And you just did it again. You just, I think you probably gave several people watching this or listening right now live a different perspective that they hadn't heard before from a young, healthy person with no pre-existing conditions that went through hell for two weeks. So, uh, I, I, man. We, we, we actually met through Victor Connie, uh, Mike, yeah. if you remember. Absolutely. And, um, in Los Angeles after, he was, uh, he was, he was, very, yeah, you got it. You got it. And he actually was very instrumental in helping me through this, like telling me certain things to take and okay. how to keep getting the zinc in my system. 
he would call me up, you know, periodically throughout the two-week ordeal. He was really, really, really helpful because I, I, he was like one of the first people I called. And he was like, double down on your zinc right away, Steve. Hurry up and do it. He sent me a monitor, you know, for my breathing. He was really, really helpful in it. I really appreciate Vic for that. That's great, man. Uh, Vic has gone out of his way to help more people than I could name. Uh, I've seen it. You know, I've yep. seen him go out yep. of his way. I saw, yep. again, we met through him uh, after the, that Charlo fight, right? Um, and yep. Yep. just yep. right there firsthand, I saw some of the things. I mean, he's just a good dude. People yep. talk about his past, but look yep. at what he's done since. He's helped so many people yep. in and out of boxing more than I could name. But, um, okay. Yeah. Let's let's get to. I, I want to talk to you briefly, and I, I don't want to beat this dead horse because obviously you've talked about this a lot. But I haven't had a chance to talk to you since um, since J Rock fought Jason Rosario, and I, what happened uh-huh. in that fight? You guys, you know, J Rock had such momentum after the herd fight, and it just seemed like a switch got flipped somewhere with Rosario. Was it just a matter of styles? Was there an issue with the weight cut for J-Rock? He didn't look – he just didn't look as energetic, as vibrant um, to me. You know what, man? You know, it's a lot of things. that I, I, I probably could, you know, I probably would be more comfortable talking about him a little later. Okay. You know, but right now, you know, um, I don't really want to get too much in detail about a lot of things. Um, you know, I haven't really spoken to him like that. Um, but, um, you know – the one thing that I will say is that you got to give the other guys some credit, you know, uh, like nobody's in going into a fight a hundred percent and, you know, things happen and can't, and, you know, and a, a, as any fighter, I'm not saying specifically in Julian's camp, but just in general, things happen. So when, you know, um, Jason Rosario showed up, you know, he showed up, he was better than anybody had ever seen him before. I took him super serious. I knew he was going to probably fight a little bit over his head because that's what young guys do when they first title shot. They're sharp. They train their butts off. So you got to just give them credit, you know, and it just proves that it's um it's easier to win the title than it is to hold on to the title. Definitely. And one thing that I don't do, man, I don't, I don't dis- disrespect an opponent. I don't take anybody lightly. And I, I see people, like, they'll talk about somebody like Triple G. Oh, he had 20 title defenses against tomato cans and this and the other. And I always say, man, when you – anytime you're in the ring, a world-class dude that, that's, that's good enough to uh, get a title shot and you beat him, that's an accomplishment because it's not easy to put together title defense after title defense. Right. And um, you got to give that guy credit. And, you know, um, there's things that happen, but – at the end of the day, you gotta find a way to deliver, and that's how I feel about that. You know, um, you know, I don't know what's going on with Jason Rosario, but you know, we had the advantages. Julian's more experienced; he, he looks to be the better boxer. You know, um, he's used to going 12 rounds. We were at home. The guy is from a warm weather place, you know, so we had advantages. You know, going into the fight, the, the dude just came and he performed, and uh, he did what he had to do. So I just gotta give him credit. And, um, you know, right now, I just don't want to speak on everything that happens because it comes off as an excuse. But there was a lot of things that you're dealing with, you know, um, as a trainer and Julian was dealing with as a fighter. But, you know, 
it's, it's not the first time we, we had to deal with things. You just got to overcome them. You know, right. that's just that's just how boxing is. Cause no, nobody cares about the excuses. They care about the results. Right. You know, so you got to figure out a way to win the fight. That sounds like one of those off-the-record discussions we can have because, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> the things I learn off the record that go on in this sport, brother. Uh, okay, the reason why I asked you about that is because, you know, Rosario's fighting Charlo now. And obviously, you know, you've had an up-close look. What do, you, what do you think about that fight coming up, and, and who do you favor in that matchup? Um, I think it's a violent fight. I think the fight's going to come down to uh, the best catcher, not mm. the best pitcher. Um, I think that Rosario's a good fighter. I got a lot of respect for him, but I think that he probably looks a little bit better against Julian than what he really is. Whenever I see a guy that performs like that, you kind of come back down to earth. That's like the guy that gets the 50-point game. And the next night he may get 20, but he doesn't get 50 again. Right. You know, so I'm not expecting him to look like that versus Charlo unless he's a truly a great fighter. So if you twist my arm, you know, um, Charlo, you know, neither one of them are what you call hard to outbox and things like that. But those guys got world-class chins. They're strong. They're determined. Um, they're athletic. And they got willpower. They don't stop trying. So sometimes when you when you don't have like like the the freakiest boxing skills and things like that, you got other things to make up for it. Because you can see that you know like with Harrison, and um, you know that you can box Charlo, you can hit him. Yeah. Trout was able to do things to him, but it's hard to discourage him, and it's hard to do it for twelve rounds. So if you made me pick, I would say Charlo, probably like a fight of the year kind of fight. Um, maybe a uh, late stoppage. You know, that's my guess. I think he probably his stamina is probably a little bit better. I think he's a little bit more experienced. But I I, I respect Rosario. He does some cute stuff in there. You know, he's not just a straight brawler. He can counter punch. He can do little things. Right. But I think overall, I will uh, probably favor Charlo. What about the other Charlo against Revianchenko? Um, the other Charlo. Um, that's the one that we went up against. I think he's a little bit more patient than the, than the brother. And um, I think that Durinchenko is probably just a little too small for him. Not like a like little too short. You know, uh, Durinchenko looks to be about 5'6 or 5'7 from, yeah. from, from the eyeball test. And Charlo is a shade over six foot. And I just think that the size difference of him being able to close the distance on Charlo is a little bit too much. I think it's going to be a competitive fight because he has pedigree. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people, I think a lot of people are picking Derenchenko. But when I look at Derenchenko, he also has, like, kind of a cold chin. Like, you can hurt him early. Uh, Triple G hurt him early. And if I'm not mistaken, Danny Jacobs hurt him early. And um, yeah. I think Charlo's a hard, heavy-handed puncher. And I think, you know, in both of those fights, the knockdown proved to be the difference. So he, he's one of those guys that seems like he has to get warmed up a little bit. And I think Charlo uh, is just as heavy-handed as those guys. So I can see Charlo um, winning a, a comfortable decision or getting a, or getting a stoppage. I just, I just feel as though the other guy is a little too small to close the distance. You know, uh, Charlo will kind of sit and just throw that pole jack 
and it's going to be a lot for him to get past. You know, um, I, I, I'm more comfortable in this fight than I am the, uh, the 154 fight. Interesting. Yeah, you know, the more I think about both of those fights, the more I think the Charlos, both of them, are going to look really good on that night. I just think that when you talk about the styles and you break it down like you just did, I just think I, I agree with you. The 154 fight's probably going to be more competitive, more violent. I think the 160 fight might be a little slower, mm-hmm. but I think both Charlos have yeah, because, a good uh, chance bigger, to look really good on that night. The the bigger Charlo is a little more patient than yeah. the 154 pound Charlo. The 154 pound Charlo is probably a little quicker, but the bigger Charlo is a little bit more patient. He can he kind of can sit back and run you in the shots a little more. He sets you up. 54 pound one, you know, he kind of uh. He kinda he kinda is a little bit more of an attacker. So um, you know, I think him and Jason Rosario, they're gonna kinda clash and it's gonna be, you know, a really violent fight because they kinda feed into each other. But Jason Rosario throws some really nice little counter punches. Uh he had Julian with a counter punch in the second round that I think changed the complexion of the fight. Julian had a good first round. Right. And in the second round he hit him with like a little counter right hand and it really like Julian, I don't even know if the announcers noticed it, but it shook him up, and then he cut him, and that kind of changed the um, the complexion of the fight. And, right. and he hit Jamonte Clark, the uh, 6'2 kid uh, out of Cincinnati. I was studying tape on him. He hit him with the same exact shot, so he can do some counter punching. So Charles going to have to be careful in this fight, you know? He can't go in there with his chin up in the air, but I, I think he's going to overcome a shaky moment. You know, I could even see him being down. But I think he's going to um, win the fight overall. I wanted to ask you what you think of the overall state of boxing right now in the United States. Just just the state of the game, where we're at. I talked about at the top of the show before you came on about recent ratings being down across the board. And I know that's happening in most sports right now. But you got, like, the three-headed monster here, right? Because you got the uh, zone, which the zone really built up all this momentum in 2019 and just got decimated by COVID. COVID beat up the zone more than any other platform in boxing. And then you've got, you know, the PBC thing and then the top rank thing on ESPN. As a guy who's, you know, a historian, been around the sport, you've studied it, where do you see the state of the game right now? Like the health. I think it's going through a rough spot. I think it's going through a, a rough spot, which is obvious, and you can't refute that. But I think that the country in general is going through a rough spot. Mm. So I think boxing just has to work to get their fan base back. I think that, you know, as much as they try to accommodate with the no crowd, I think that a boxing crowd is helpful for the fight. It gives an ambiance that you kind of need for a fight. And these fights are giving us a sparring session to like feel. You know, um, if I could make a suggestion to the powers that be, I would have people who were quarantined and people who have tested surround the ring. So obviously you can't put it in the stadium, but if you put it in a place where maybe, you know, 20 or 30 people could kind of show a little bit more emotion because the fights, they don't have a personality. It's like getting into an argument with somebody over text. Texts have no tone, Mike. Yeah. So I may say something to you that you may find offensive, but you don't know you don't know how I'm saying it. So when I watch these fights, they're really, really bland because they they feel like sparring sessions because there's no cheering crowd 
which means a lot, and it, and it, and, it, and it's a uh, it's a big deal. So I think that it's in a it's 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 in a down spot, but the country's in the down spot. You know what I mean? Our, our country is just it's it's it's, in, it's it's not in a great place right now, and it's been better times. I can't think of a time where so much bad stuff has been happening in our country. But I think boxing will come back. You know, I got confidence that uh, the COVID will will get over the COVID in um, a few years. I mean, not a few years, in a few oh, months. Please don't say and a few I years. That slowly but surely, yeah, I think it's slow. I know, right? Slowly but surely, I think it'll come back. But I think the ambiance is what's killing it. You can't put on a showcase fight where the winner is not really in doubt and have no crowd because yeah. it's a sparring session, Mike. That's what it is. That's what you have in sparring. In sparring, you have guys that come in to get your guys. You have really, really good sparring partners. He doesn't fight. He doesn't box them every day. You know, he's not going to go life and death every day. So when you have a fight where the, 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 the winner is not really down and there's no crowd and, you know, and, and these fights are going the distance, it's not going to draw high ratings. Now, I, I guarantee you that there's some people that are going to tune in to the Charlos fight because people think that those are tough fights. I guarantee you people are going to tune in to Loma and Lopez because that's a tough fight. Now, it may not have the same amount of viewers, but it'll do better than a lot of these recent fights because the, um, the winner is in doubt. So I think it's in a tough time. But, man, boxing is resilient, Mike. It'll be okay. You know, it's just going to take a few months to put the right fights together and they figure out how to get the crowds back in there. They may even move it to a place that's not practicing, you know, um, the sort of quarantine that we are here. And I think it'll be fine. But it's just going to take some time. I hope you're right, man. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I think, you know, all sports, of course, have been hurt by the quarantine situation. But I think boxing is a sport where we have learned now, we have evidence now that you have to have a crowd. For every reason you just said, from the fan perspective, for, yep. for the entertainment perspective, yep. but from the business perspective, yep. you, have to have a crowd. you can't yep. put on yep. the third yep. fight between yep. Wilder and Fury without ticket sales. you got to sell tickets. You have to have a crowd. You do. You have to have it's, – it's, it's the one sport that you can't get over it. We're kind of getting acclimated to it with the NBA. Right. And that's not the same. But with boxing, you just – you can't do it, you know. But at the same time, you know, I give the promoters and the networks props because these guys have to make a living. They can't just sit out forever until the crowd can come back, you know. You know, all the money is not generated from the gate. So these right. guys have to earn a living. So I understand, even though – that the fights don't look the way that we need them to look, you know, to get the full entertainment value. You know, these guys have a right to earn a living. So, you know, I'm glad that they are able to earn a living uh, under these circumstances because it's, 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 it's not easy not fighting in front of a, you know, not, to enjoy a fight that has no crowd, especially when you know who the winner is going to be. Because I'm an avid boxing fan, Mike. I usually don't miss fights. Right. I really have not been watching fights in their entirety, you know, since boxing came back, like I'll like watch them, see a round or two, and I just turn it off. It's just it's not doing anything for me because I already know who's gonna win the fight. So I've been in a kind of a rut with that also. So I get it, you know, I get what everybody's saying, but I think we just have to be patient till we get that kind of fight where it's fifty fifty, and these networks can figure out some way to do something, do something better with the production, so we can get more into the crowd. 
I'm with you, man. It's great stuff. You know, PBC on Fox, they have that canned crowd noise. I, I don't mind that. I, I Some people mm-hmm. were dissing that on Twitter. I like it better than <laughs> nothing. I thought it was a smart thing to do. Yeah. You know, uh, the thing that ESPN and Top man. Rank is doing, that's weird. I, the crowd noise that they have, I, I can't even remember what they call it, but um, it's some kind of app mm-hmm. or something. But anyway, man, um, great stuff, Fred, man. Great stuff. And I'm so glad that you're feeling better. Before I let you go, because I told you I wouldn't keep you more than half an hour, uh, let everyone know where they could follow you on Twitter. Y'all, listen, you know what? Go ahead. Kids are watching Jurassic Park, man. You can, you can. Go okay, ahead, okay. Man. You can go. We're good. Okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, you know, the Daily Bread mailbag. When is that? I think you had one pretty recently, but um, I want it's to. Saturday, it's Saturdays on Boxing Scene. Okay, so it's every Saturday. I want you know people to check every that Saturday out. Saturday on Boxing Scene. Yep. That's that's great reading. And then uh, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, Bread Do you know Boxing. the link? In fact, uh, let me pull it up. No, I will read the I'm link. Pretty sure it's, it's, yeah. Oh, it's just Breadman Boxing at Breadman Boxing. Yeah, you should have a lot yeah, more followers, man. Yeah. Yeah. You should have a lot more followers. I know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm corny, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I am too, man. <laughs> I get, I get beat up on Twitter a lot. You know how you say people can't tell tone over text it's the same thing on twitter i get in trouble a lot of times i'm just trying to tell jokes and shit and have fun and people take it the wrong way but uh <laughs> you know how it is oh man but yeah, yeah listen man, man. i'll I let get, you i, I want to let you go too, what's it i'm sorry go ahead i said i get it sometimes too mike i get i, oh. I uh, i'll say something and i'll come back and i'll have like 50 notifications and right. you know Guys are cussing me out, calling me all kinds of names, man. Oh, I'm like, damn, bro, I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> Dog, everything. I could literally say, fuck cancer. And some guy will retweet me and be like, what about AIDS, motherfucker? It's just it, always. It's just something like that. I, yeah, insane, Twitter. Man. Most, like, I got married insane. last week. You know what, man? Most people on Twitter were, were like saying, congrats. There were some dudes talking shit about that on Twitter that I got married and posted a, a photo of it. There were some people talking shit about it. Oh man! Congratulations, man! Thank you. Congratulations, that's cool, man. But man, that's the life. You know what, man? We just live in a society, Mike, where people are used to saying things without accountability, and they got they get comfortable with it. That's all. Those you're a big guy. Those same guys, you will punch the shit out of them in real life, <laughs> and they wouldn't say that to you. So now <laughs> they get to get their rocks off, and yeah. they say it on. They say it on Twitter. I go through it all the time. I just block them. Yep. You know, it's just a bunch of cowards. They're not human beings. They're they're they what they are are social media creations. It's like an alter ego where they get a whole lot of courage to say different things that they could never say. I see how they harass the boxes. But what I try oh, to yeah. do because I think social media is poison to the brain. I try, I only interact with certain people. And I try not to follow social media. I may post about a game or a fight or something that I saw, but I try not to, like, go and scroll down and follow it. I didn't, you know, I didn't, if I saw that you were married, I probably skipped over it and didn't realize it because I would have said congratulations. But I don't, I try to stay away from that, man. You know what I mean? Just following. You know how people wake up and just scroll down social media and they spend like an hour a day seeing what people didn't post it? I try not to do that, man, because there's some sick individuals on social media these days. That's smart, man. I wish I was as smart as you because my dumb ass goes on there and (laughs) looks at all the comments and all that. Sometimes it's funny, 
sometimes it's funny, but a lot of times it's crazy, like, though, man. yeah, I, I, I need to just, you know, you know, who tells me to just ignore a lot of that shit too is Steve Kim. My friend, you know, Steve is a great guy. And uh, oh, yeah. he's always and Doug too. Doug Fisher is like, just just ignore that shit. And I do ninety nine percent of the time, but it's that one percent that I'll just be like, fuck it, let me read this. And then I'm like, god damn. And then I get pissed off. You know, <laughs> my blood starts boiling. And then you start going back and forth. You start going back and forth with some idiot with yeah. a fake account. And then exactly. now you pulled off your square, man. Trust me, I know. I'm not I'm not 100% perfect with it, but I've figured out a way to just block these idiots and not keep going back and forth, man, because everybody can't have a, 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 a respectful discussion, and they can't disagree without insulting. It's the yeah. weirdest thing, man. It's like they want to bully you to have their same opinion. So it's like, you know, it's crazy, man. On that note... <sighs> I'm gonna let you go, brother. You've uh, it's been awesome, man. Yep. You're a great yep. guest. Let's do this again soon once you got some fights scheduled. All right, we'll have you back on. Yep. All whenever, right, brother. Whenever you want, man. Whenever you want, just give me a buzz. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate All it. Right, have a good night. All right. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. The great Stephen Redman Edwards. Someone that I think, again, as I said at the top of the show, one of the truly great boxing minds that we have right now in this sport if you're not reading his daily bread mailbag even though it's on a competitor site i'm going to give it to you over on boxing scene go go read it okay um and he does contribute to ring a lot i did a piece in fact uh, a couple months ago earlier this year where we i did a breakdown of lomachenko lopez this was before it was even official because we knew it was going to come eventually and i talked to jonathan banks and I talked to Breadman, and I asked them, you know, if they were in the corners, how they would train and prepare their fighters for that fight. And I got some great stuff from both of those guys. But Breadman is truly one of the good dudes in this sport, uh, a, a must follow, and definitely a guy that you should uh, read his his mailbag. Okay, so we got through the news and notes. We got through the review. But let's really quickly preview what we got coming up this week okay uh the schedule's not loaded but we do have a few fights uh wednesday september 2nd there's an mtk card mtk global card picked up by espn plus friday september 4th the telemundo card down there in florida uh so you see a lot of those mtk cards in the middle of the week espn plus picks them up and telemundo does a lot of uh they i think they're in kissimmee florida a lot of the cards that they're putting on uh mostly friday night cards and then September, or I'm sorry, uh, Saturday, September 5th, top rank on ESPN from the bubble at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Jamel Herring, Jamel Semperfi Herring, another one of my favorite guys in this sport. Breadman's one of my favorite guys. Jamel Herring, another one of my favorite guys. Uh, every time I talk to him, it's a positive experience. He's going up against Jonathan Okendo, uh, defending his WBO 130-pound title. Of course, that was the fight that was supposed to take place uh, earlier in the summer. But uh, Jamel got COVID. And unlike Breadman, Jamel had a very quick, uh, easy time with it. It was in and out of his system very, very quickly. He, it wasn't very complex for him. It's so interesting to me the way it affects people in different ways. Um, anyway, this is the second defense for Herring, who is 5-0 and oh since moving down from lightweight. Remember, he fought as a lightweight at PBC. But I think since uh, 2017, he moved down. 
He's been fighting uh, in and uh, right around 130. I think there was a couple fights like at 132 or something. But he's 5-0. and oh. he, he does much better at 130. And also on this card, Steven Nelson, a 16-0 super middleweight prospect out of Omaha. 32 years old, kind of, kind of advanced age for a prospect. Had a solid domestic level amateur record in the United States. He's going up against DeAndre Ware. And then Sunday, September 6th, PBC on Fox uh, has a card Sunday night boxing. Omar Juarez, an 8-0, 140-pound prospect out of Texas. And Vladimir Slavinsky, 11-0, featherweight southpaw prospect out of the Ukraine, who now fights out of Los Angeles. That is uh, the PBC on Fox. So you got cards uh, a few different days this week. But let's uh, let's jump over here to the phone lines again. If you guys want to call in real quick, we'll have a couple quick calls, and we'll wrap it up. But I'm going to jump over here to the phone lines and uh, – Let's see, 773, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Mike, What's wouldn't up? you like to watch a fight? Wouldn't you like to watch a fight, watch it go the distance, and be on the edge of your seat to see who reads the scorecards, has some suspense, has some anticipation? Did you really, were you like that when they were about to read that scorecard for Postal versus Ramirez, or you know who they're going to pick? You know who the winner was, who they're going to choose as the winner. Well, I felt Ramirez won, man. I don't know if you were watching earlier, but I I, I scored it for Ramirez one fifteen one thirteen. I thought he did enough. So yeah, did you did you think fight. that Postal I mean, won? I thought Postal won, but I know it was a relatively close fight. I thought Postal outboxed him for the majority of the fight, beginning rounds and the later rounds. I thought he was just more active, more more consistent. Um, but either way. It doesn't matter because everybody knew Ramirez was going to get that decision, and that's my point. You can see it was like a joke on Twitter. It's like, yeah, post a good fight, really close fight, but they're not giving you that decision. You're going to have to knock the dude down. You're going to have to knock him out to, to win that fight because Ramirez, poster boy, easy A side. They want to set up that unification bout. Um, he's got the Mexican fan base behind him, the Mexican market, and that's my point regarding boxing decisions, the judges. It's like it doesn't matter what Postal did. He wasn't going to win that fight. He's, he'd have to get rid of him and knock him out, and he's not really known for a knockout artist. I think he's got like 12 knockouts in 30 fights or whatever. So that's my point. And, um, but as far as the fight goes, I just thought Postal was more active. He was more – he was landing the cleaner shots. He was landing the cleaner shots. His jab was clean. It's always on the jaw. Straight right hand. He would keep him on it every now and then. Throw a straight right hand right down the middle. It would land clean. A lot of our merits punches, it was, they were kind of grazing off the shoulder, and they were just sloppy. didn't look like they were clean, effective strikes. It looked sloppy. A lot of the body punches were landing on the elbows and arms. Well, um, I, let, me, let me say something, and, okay? I think because you hit on something that I, I do think people get a, a certain impression. Let, let, me just, let me just interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt, but um, I, I will say this, okay? Postal looked more refined. Victor Postal looks like a more refined boxer. He looks more comfortable because he's a veteran. He's a little more stylish, and he looks he was more balanced. The punches are straighter, and he, he just looked more like a consummate technician. Ramirez did look sloppy. He, he did look a little awkward. He, he looked at some times amateurish, but 
you don't score a fight based on how a guy looks. If a guy looks sloppy versus sharp, it's it's about, well, you know the four scoring categories. But I thought Ramirez, yes, and I you should go back and watch when I, I did the review of this fight, man, because I'm curious what you think about what I said. Postal did a very good job throwing. I, I really love his straight punches. He, he throws beautifully straight. For a guy with such long arms, his punches are so beautifully straight. But it was ones and twos all off the back foot. He wasn't setting traps. He wasn't necessarily throwing counter shots. He wasn't necessarily making Ramirez miss and then pay. It was a 1-1, one, 1-1, one, 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 two occasionally, and that was it. He wasn't throwing hooks. There was no uppercuts. He wasn't turning Ramirez. He wasn't pushing him back. He wasn't pressing the action. There was enough jabs there, I thought, to, to win four or five rounds pretty clearly for Postal. But I don't know, man. There was a lot of close rounds that were up for grabs, and I just preferred Ramirez's aggression. Some of the shots were grazing. Some of them did hit the elbows and the gloves, but some of them did get through. The biggest shots in the fight were landed by Ramirez, man. He snapped Postal's head back several times in that fight. Yeah, there's there's one one punch in particular that rocked um, Ramirez, but uh, that rocked Postal. But Postal landed some really powerful shots on Ramirez. You saw one punch; it, it buckled his knees. He got he got staggered by a straight right hand by Postal. Oh, you walked right into was, it. That was what um walked right into it, landed a clean right hand right on the jaw, and that was. That what was keeping um, Ramirez uh, hesitant. He, he knew um, he wasn't just rushing forward all night. He, he, there was a, plenty of time where he was stuck, kind of bewildered. He was kind of yeah. lost, where he didn't want to just come rushing forward. And then probably 30 seconds later, he would come blitzing forward, charging forward, all sloppy, throwing sloppy hooks. A lot of them missed. I just thought most of the fight, Ramirez was bewildered. And he, you could see that at the end of the fight. He, he was like, he knew he didn't win that fight. You saw Postal, he won that fight. He, he knew at the end of the... I say, end Postal the, um, didn't complain about the, the scores. Po- Postal didn't show any emotion when the scorecards were read. He didn't complain about it. And I know that's not really his personality. But, look, you preferred what Postal did versus what Ramirez did. I think that's fine. There's no issue there. And I, I understand the point that you're trying to make in regards to the A side and the B side and the demographics involved. It's not a racial thing or an ethnic thing. You're talking about the money, the power structure. I get that. But I don't think that was the case in this particular fight, man. Now, Ramirez has had close fights. There was fights. What was it? Um, I think it was his fight with Zapata. You go back with uh, last year with Jose, Jose Zapata, who's Mexican, Right. That was a very close fight that a lot of people felt Zapata won. I thought that fight was much more closer than this fight, personally. So while I understand the point that you're trying to make up front, I don't necessarily think it applies to this scenario. Now, do I think it applied to Canelo Golovkin won? Yeah, of course. That was A-side. That was establishment versus outsider. Like, I get what you're saying there. But that wasn't the case here, brother. I just, I don't think that was the case here. My last one before I head out. Um, you know, a boxing fan, they always bring up the sweet science. Oh, boxing, it's a sweet science. What looked like the sweet science in there? Um, Ramirez charging forward. At one point, he got completely spinned around against the ropes, did a 360 because he was so off balance, so, so sloppy. 
and then he got countered by two right hands by uh, Postal. Or was it Postal on the back foot, snapping the jab out, pivoting, circle off the ropes, knee back in the middle. What looked like the sweet science in there? Well, okay, let me ask you this before you jump off. And that you, make a, you make a valid point, okay? How did you score Canelo Lara? Uh, I got to go back to and watch. I forgot. I thought, I'd be um, curious to I hear your. Lara was definitely. Go back and watch that I fight. Lara was the. Um... Okay. I yeah, because I'm curious. I want to hear I, next I week. People... You, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you watch that fight this week and then call in next week and let me know, because that was a similar situation. I was ringside for that fight. And I remember a lot of people on the internet felt that Lara won. But what I saw in very close swing rounds was Canelo do a little bit more of the fighting, pushing the fight. He went to the body. He landed. He wanted double, triple the body shots Lara did, just as Ramirez did against Postal. And to me, Lara just stayed on the back foot a bit too much. It wasn't the boss in there enough and gave the fight away. He could have won the fight. Postal could have won the fight Saturday. If he had just stepped up and thrown five more right hands, thrown some left hooks in there, spun the guy, dug down to the body, just just pushed him back a few times, but there wasn't enough of that from Postal. And so I'm curious how you would score a Canelo Lara, man. Uh, if you if you get a chance to check that out, please call in next week and let me know. All right. All right, we'll do. Thank you at all. All right, brother. Have a good one. All right, let's uh, let's jump back to the phones here. We got a few calls here. And then uh, we'll wrap it up, guys. Seven three two. You're on TNC. Go. Hey, Michael. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm real good. Hey, congratulations. Thank on, you. Uh, your marriage. Congratulations, you and Tiffany. Is this how you spend your honeymoon? Yeah. Well, we don't have we have no money to do a honeymoon. So, yeah, we're just chilling. And maybe in a few years we'll be able to do something. We'll we'll see. All right, that's all good. Um, I actually wasn't going to talk about uh, the uh, Ramirez Postal fight, but real quick, uh, you saw the judges' scorecards mostly for Postal the first couple of rounds, and Ward scored the first couple of rounds for Ramirez. It was just that kind of fight. There was really no objective way to score it. It felt like Ramirez did more damage and more rounds than Postal did. So if you're going to give it to him based on damage, I think he eats it out. But it's the kind of fight you ten guys score it ten different ways. They won't agree on the round. It's just how it was. Yeah, I, I that's pretty much how I see it. I mean, for for professional boxing, I tend to in a close round, I tend to give the round to the guy who inflicted more damage. And sometimes that one damage is more damage is off of one shot. Sometimes it's off a few shots. But there are times where. One guy can land six, seven, eight jabs, and another guy lands one hard body punch that drives the other dude back. I'm going to give it to the guy who landed that one big shot. But sometimes the guy who is winning the battle of the jab really does control the three minutes of that round solely off the jab. Vladimir Klitschko made a career of it, an all-time great heavyweight career out of it. So it can be done. That's just not what I saw Saturday, man. I saw a close competitive fight where Ramirez eked it out with his aggression. That, that's what I saw. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Hey, you got a minute to talk pads or what? Yeah, well, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate here. And I think it's time that we just 
admit that uh, we should just allow pads in boxing. I, I think it's uh, – I got a couple of points I want to make, and I want to get your opinion. Pads in boxing? All right. Peds. Oh, PED. I was like, what? Okay, PEDs. All right, all right. Well, go ahead. Let me hear your thoughts. Okay. All right. First of all, only a small percentage of fighters are even being tested. And of that small percent on a regular basis, right? And of that small percentage, they're still failing. I mean, you got guys who know they're going to be tested and they're failing anyway. So why are fighters still doing PEDs? I think it's because fighters, by their nature, are just extremely competitive people. And they'll do whatever it takes to be their best, whether it's modern training methods, sports nutrition, sleeping in a hyperbolic chamber, whatever they got to do. I think that really, if PEDs were legal, all fighters would do them, simply because everybody wants to perform at their optimum. So I think the only reason fighters don't do PEDs is because of the stigma and because of the way the public feels about it, but not because they, in their heart, don't want to use them, because they will allow fighters to perform at their very best, and that's what fighters want to do. And the idea of them being a cheat, well, I mean, you still got to do the work. It's not like you, you shoot up with steroids and the next day, you know, your cash is clay. It doesn't work that way. You still got to put in the time. You still got to do the work. So it's, it's, a, it's a performance enhancer. So I don't really see – I see it as something that, that fighters in their hearts would like to have access to, just like any other – think of it as a, as a modern sports medicine advantage. Right? That's first point. Second point is the level playing field. Right now you've got some fighters on PEDs and some fighters not on PEDs. We're not sure who's doing what. So there's no – real way to be 100% sure that we have a level playing field. But if all fighters are allowed to do performance enhancers, it levels the field. You've got enhanced fighters fighting enhanced fighters. So I think, I think that's uh, pretty important. And thirdly is the elephant in the room is fighter safety. Everybody talks about fighter safety, how important it is. I mean, these guys are getting paid to hit each other in the head. So fighter safety is important. But the most important thing is the product, all right? So PEDs do allow fighters to train longer, fight harder, so it gives a better product. But a level playing field would make things more safe. I think we can agree that a fighter on PEDs fighting a clean fighter is a lot more unsafe than two fighters on PEDs. And I don't know if there's any real evidence that shows that fighters on performance-enhancing drugs are in any greater danger from each other than two clean fighters. I mean, injuries happen in boxing. If performance enhancers make you bigger and stronger and hit harder, don't they also make you better able to take a shot, right? So those are my, those are my points. Uh, I'd like to know what you think. Um, as far as the long-term effects of PEDs, performance enhancers, steroids, and all that, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's been proven that there's long-term detrimental effects, but oh, like Sylvester Stallone looks pretty good. Schwartz, Schwarzenegger looks pretty good. Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. I mean, okay, they're not fighters, but, but they're obviously juicing. And yeah. they, they seem to be all right. But anyway, all I'm saying is that I don't think we can win the battle of eliminating performance enhancers. I think 
fighters are always going to want to do them. And I think that if you allow them and you regulate them and you allow people to disclose what they're taking, get a level playing field, I think we'll get a better product. And I think that's the only way that you can really defeat it. You know, you can't beat them. I think you got to join them. So what do you think? Look, you're not the only person that feels this way, okay? Your opinion is the minority opinion, but there there are a lot – there are a, a solid group of people out there who agree with you. There's no medical experts in the field that agree with you. That's the thing. And there are, there's no long-term testing and analysis that would prove that – Two fighters on performance-enhancing drugs fighting each other would be safer than two clean fighters fighting each other. Now, if we could get some medical trials done, and I saw evidence that uh, doing certain performance enhancers improved your health, improved brain function, helped you recover from brain trauma and things like that, helped reduce concussions and things like that, then I'd be on board. But there's zero evidence of any of that. You mentioned uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dwayne Johnson, these guys that we know use performance-enhancing drugs. They're also multi-multi-millionaires. And when boxing is a poor sport, most fighters come from the lower class, the working class. These performance-enhancing drugs are not cheap. And a lot of people think steroids. Most fighters don't use steroids. They, they, don't, they don't help for what you need in boxing. Most of the performance-enhancing drugs in boxing are related to weight cutting. And it's because guys are trying to make unnatural weights. If you legalize that shit, you've got guys killing themselves right now because they're dehydrating their brain to make an unnatural weight 24 hours before they're about to go get punched in the head. You make that shit legal, you open up a Pandora's box to trainers and gyms with kids using this kind of shit. You, dude, you, I, I think you could see potentially boxing deaths spike if that happened. Until, I, I'm not saying that I'm 100% against your idea, because I, I understand the point you're trying to make. There's some legitimate logic to what you're saying. But we need medical trials, and we need proof that there would be some sort of health advantage. Forget the product for a second. Health advantage for the athletes to use these substances. If there was, I'm, I'm, I'll be all for it. Like something, okay, like marijuana. I don't smoke marijuana. I never have. It's just not my thing. I don't get it. But there are a lot of athletes, particularly in combat sports, who like to smoke marijuana because it relaxes them. It helps them sleep. That aids in their rest and recovery. And I, I can tell you, I've spoken with multiple athletic commission chairmen's and, and anti-doping people who say, we, we don't test for that shit because it's fucking stupid to suspend a guy for smoking pot. It's not a performance enhancer. It certainly doesn't enable you and make you sharper. It makes you dumber and lazier. <laughs> but you don't smoke pot right before a fight. You smoke pot after you train. And I know several fighters who do it, okay? But there was a time where there a lot of commissions were testing for that. And you saw guys get suspended for smoking pot in camp you know like i thought that kind of stuff was stupid but if a guy's taking um pills or not pills but supplements to help him unnaturally cut weight that's 
very, very dangerous. And I've seen the studies. I've read over them. A lot of that shit's way over my head, but I've been with experts who could explain to me what the studies said. And you're literally dehydrating your brain, dude. You're, you're doing things to your body that will cause irre- irreversible damage later on. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, they weren't doing that stuff. They were bulking up, doing roids and things like that. That had an effect. Remember, Arnold's had open-heart surgery, bro. You think that may have come from being a doper? There's so much evidence that this shit's bad for you and little to no evidence that it's good for you. There's some anecdotal evidence that if you do it the right way, you can have a positive result that's okay. But how do you regulate that? So until we get some sort of scientific medical consensus on all of that, I would say we keep the shit illegal. I agree with you. Most fighters are not tested. It's not that hard to beat most of these tests. But I, I think that for right now, you got to keep it illegal, bro. I just you, You'd be opening a Pandora's box there where people could get really, really messed up. But it's an interesting question. And right, I think I'm, one that we, we can entertain. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't have a, a dog in the fight. But um, I'm just trying to figure out. It, it feels like the fighters want to do it. Some do, Based some don't. I, look, I know the, Nonito Donaire no, I, I would never I, touch that shit. He doesn't smoke pot. He doesn't do any of that shit. He just, he doesn't, he's not that guy. I know some fighters that don't drink coffee. They don't drink caffeine, right? So it it depends on the person. But I agree with you. And it's not just fighters. It's athletes. Athletes will always look for a competitive advantage. Always. Yeah, you're right. Every. I think every point you made is fair and uh, true, except for the part about smoking dope before a fight. I think Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. might disagree with that. Uh, but, but otherwise, okay, uh, <laughs> he is the exception. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're on point. It just uh, when they start hitting, I'm not going to be a Canelo defender, but I mean trace amounts of clenbuterol and things like that. It seems like we're splitting hairs. You know, I mean, I, I just again want to find a way to make it. I, I will say this: a chance to be their best, make it fair for everyone. But you know, I you make good points about the uh, the weight cutting. That weight cutting is dangerous anyway. I mean, uh, it's horrible. Same day weigh-ins. That's what kills people. I, look, we had five deaths yeah. last year, and you know, I studied several of them in depth, and I can tell you things I know off the record, things I know on the record. More than one of those deaths last year was related to the weight cut. That is ultimately what killed several of those young men last year. Yes, they took trauma to the head, but if they were fully, if they were fighting at a natural weight and cut weight the right way, they would have survived those fights. So that's you got to think, dude. This is a sport where it's about cutting weight. Not sometimes it's about gaining weight, but it's more about cutting weight. And uh, the way guys do that as it relates to these drugs and these supplements, a lot of times it's very, very dangerous. Some fighters have million-dollar teams around them. They have dudes around them that are mini-scientists, right? But most fighters don't. They're training with their dad, their uncle, whatever, and they don't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to this stuff. So just, yeah. But anyway, I got to jump to this other caller, bro. I I appreciate your call, man. Good stuff. Definitely call in again. Roger that. Take it easy. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, let's jump to uh, one more call here, guys. And then uh, 
Let's see. We got uh, four, four, seven, nine. You are on the show. Go. Uh, hello, Mike. Uh, how's it going? Hey, man. What's up, man? Going well. Yeah, congratulations on the wedding as well. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no worries. I, I was just going to say, first uh, thing, regarding PTs, uh, I think boxing has got enough uh, of a bad look yeah. in the mainstream media. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I, I've, heard, I've heard both sides of the argument, but... I don't know. I, I just don't think that's a good idea. Like, I personally would rather is more stringent uh, tested in boxing. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not sure about that everyone is on it, but I do think majority of uh, athletes and boxers are on PTs. But I think to cut that down, you just got to start regulating more testing and um, maybe be a bit more stringent. But I, I don't think it would be a good look because if it starts resulting in deaths and more injuries, right. I, I don't know how you answer to that. Like, like uh, I don't know how you'd explain. Like, it wouldn't be a good look, I don't think. Would you agree? I completely agree. And I think the only way it would ever be defendable is, again, if there is some sort of performance-enhancing drug that comes out that improves cognitive brain function. And it, uh, you know, areas of the brain that become damaged uh, as it relates to CTE. You know, at some point, there's going to be a medication that comes. I mean, doctors are going to figure it out where you can reverse CTE effects and, and you know, uh, swellings on the brain and things like that. And if there are drugs that fighters can take to prevent some of these injuries and we have, you know, clinical testing and, and, and scientific uh, consensus, you know, across the board, then, yeah, let's entertain yeah. that. But it, that's that could be a hundred years away, you know, that's decades away. So for now, the best thing we could do is up the amount of testing. And also all these damn commissions need to get all on the same page. What happened with Jarrell, big baby Miller getting signed by top rank and being scheduled to fight just a year after what he did. That's atrocious. That should never happen. So boxing needs to step it up in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Regarding Miller, do you think uh, do you think he'll be back like under another outfit? Yep. He will be back. Here's the reality of the situation. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I was just I don't think there's many. uh, I know it might be to do with PTs, but I can't think of many better American heavyweights than him. It may be one or two, but if you look at the top ten American heavyweights, Miller, you could make an argument is a top three, top two guy, maybe top three or definitely top five. I'd say. I don't know. I mean, his resume. Just as a glancey. His resume isn't very good. I always felt he was a little overhyped. But part of the overhype, and maybe he is that good, but he just he just never fought the top guys to prove it. Is what I'm saying. So there's potential, but he's never proven it in the ring. And the minute he yeah. had a chance to prove it, he screwed it up. You know. So, but here's the reality, Hamed. I'm just I'm just going to step on the line and say this, okay? Jarrell Big Baby Miller is African American. He's from New York. He's undefeated. He's a heavyweight. He's a trash talker, loud and boisterous. He checks every single box in terms of yeah. marketing. For what top rank wanted to match him against Tyson Fury. It's perfect 
matchmaking in terms of marketing to the casual fan. Fury and Miller in New York would have sold out Madison Square Garden if, if that could have happened with, you know, in the next year or two. It absolutely would have sold out the Garden. That's why they signed him, and that's why ultimately somebody will pick him up. It will happen. It could be PBC. Uh, regarding of course. the top 10, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, looking at the top 10 American heavy, outside Wilder, Michael Hunter, I, I don't really think there's that much time. I mean, you've got guys like Gerald Washington who made a beat. I don't think Dominic Brazil is that good. I don't know how he got two title shots. Uh, you've got guys like Trevor Bryan who are untested and have fought virtually no one. So, I don't think Miller's really even that. Like, he hasn't really fought, but it just, I think, is a lack of uh, top uh, American heavyweight. I, I just think the talent is really low compared to the 90s and oh, even the 2000s, early 2000s. But I want to talk about the uh, Pastor fight. Uh, I don't think that was a robbery. I don't know why people use that term. Like, I watched the fight, I had a, a draw, but I can see why. Ramirez won that fight. Uh, I don't think Pascal won the early rounds, but from round seven, eight onwards, it looked like Ramirez was in control up until I think about the ninth or tenth round. One of those rounds, right. uh, I thought Pascal won, but I wouldn't say it was a clear win for Ramirez. If someone had Ramirez winning, I could see the seventh fight, but I think Doug Fisher had it like nine three. I think that's way too wide. And yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. Uh, I don't know what fight he was on. Yeah, yeah Doug. Doug is someone who prefers an aggressive, come forward fighter. He's going to always prefer that over a guy that's boxing slick. But again, in Doug's defense, I've seen Doug score fights for the boxer when the boxer was being the boss, when the boxer was controlling the space and using his boxing. Think about this. Again, if you watch the Ramirez postal fight, again, I didn't see postal spin or turn Ramirez that much. He just stayed on the back foot and boxed and moved along the ropes. I didn't see him step up into a couple of those shots and turn Ramirez in the center of the ring and then do it again or set traps or faint. There was no feints from postal. There was some, but it just wasn't one of those fights. If you look at uh, the body language and uh, how do I put it? If you look at overall body of work, body shots, uh, who finished the fight stronger, who was mixing it up, I, I think Ramirez was the right guy who won it, 7-5, yeah. even though I did drop. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it a robbery. I, I, don't, I just don't think Pascal did enough to win more than he could probably six rounds because there was a lot of close rounds. At the same time, I do think Ramirez has had two close fights, which could have been a draw and a loss. So yeah. I, I'm not sure if Ramirez is as good as some people thought, or maybe it could be down to styles. But that Josh Taylor-Ramirez fight is a really good fight. I do think Taylor is a favorite, but I'm not sure if Ramirez would beat Progre. I think that's a, that's a really good fight. I'd love to see that fight. Is to happen. I'm, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure who would win that fight. I think that's like a toss-up fight. Yeah. I would love to see that fight. Progre and Ramirez would be awesome because just the way both of them throw punches upstairs, downstairs, both hands, I think Progre probably has a little more levels to him and can make adjustments better. I think Ramirez is kind of like he does one thing. And if you can um, keep him at bay 
and make him miss, but also make him pay, um, you, you can beat him. I, I definitely think he's going to take L's, you know, but he's, he, you know, he's better than some people think. He's worse than other people think. He, he's he's a he's a good quality right now top five 140 pounder. I think one day he'll be a top ten welterweight. But do I see a pound for yeah. pound level talent there? No, I don't. I just don't. Yeah, I think his win over Maurice Fokker, that was a really good win. Like, uh, I'm surprised yeah. how he ended that fight, like, quickly. It was, uh, like, it was, I think it was a left hook, and he knocked him out, like, pretty quickly. But I was at Taylor Progre, Progre, and I wasn't too far from the ring. Uh, I seen Progre take some big shots. I'm not sure if Ramirez could take those shots. Uh, right now, I'd say, I think Taylor beats him, definitely, and probably stops him. But... Maybe it just could be a style thing because Ramirez has managed to stay unbeaten. It's just he hasn't looked as good in some fights. But at the same time, uh, Taylor didn't really look great against Postal as well. I think I had that fight uh, for Taylor with the knockdown. But I do think Taylor did better than Ramirez. Agreed. Yeah, I said the same thing at the, earlier in the show. Right. It was like seven five eight four, like you know, same kind of thing. But Taylor won his rounds clearer than Ramirez did. There were more swing rounds in Ramirez's fight with Postal. But Postal makes everyone look bad. That that's why that's what he does, his style yeah. of boxing, you know. Um but I, I think Ramirez will look better against Taylor than he looked against Postal. But I agree with you. I favor Taylor to win that fight. And it could be a huge breakout type of win for, for Taylor. Who knows? Or Ramirez could show us a level he hasn't shown us yet. We just don't know. I'm excited yeah. for that fight when it happens. Yeah, I was going to say one last thing before I drop off. Okay. Um, what about Postal? Has he been, how do I put it, under underestimated or underrated by some some people? Because I know he's Ukrainian, but not many people talk of him as much as they talk about Gavostik, uh when he was fighting guys like that, uh, Lomachenko, and uh, who was it, Usyk. But I, I don't know. I think he's kind of been underrated by some people. Maybe a lot of people. I think he's probably a little underrated because of the way he fights. And he's not the, the hardest puncher. He has 12 knockouts and, what, 34 professional fights. So his style and everything. Um, you know, when I look at the Ukrainian fighters, I mean, right now, Lomachenko and Usyk, those are the two top guys. Then you got Vozdik. And then right under that, uh, you know, you've got Derevyanchenko, Postal. He's kind of right there in that mix, you know. So he's probably five, number six, best Ukrainian fighter in the world right now. And um, that's that's saying something because the Ukrainians, they're, they're, they're doing pretty well right now. So I think he's a damn good fighter. He's a top 10 guy at 140. He gives most, just about anybody in that division, major problems. And his style is good enough and, and difficult enough where he could compete with some top welterweights. I just think he's always going to come up short against the elite-level fighters. He's just just a notch below that. He's just not quite elite. Yeah, he was meant to fight Progre in 20... I think it's 18. Like I can't remember if it's 2018. But I think he pulled out and Dongo stepped in and Progre knocked him up. That would have been a really good fight. Uh, he does have a really yeah. good win over Lucas Matisse, which uh, right. I know Danny Garcia did beat Matisse, but he didn't even stop him. And I remember Danny Garcia was meant to fight him, but he didn't fight him. So 
I, I think he did get avoided as well by some uh, some of the guys he was uh, from PBC, but the, uh, I think he's he's an awkward guy, and I think Crawford's win has really aged well. But thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Hamid. Have a good night. Hamid brings up a great point. Uh, people say that Terrence Crawford hasn't beat nobody. That's one of the things you always hear. Oh, Terrence Crawford hasn't beat nobody. And they say that against about Lomachenko, too. Terrence Crawford's win against Victor Postal was a shutout. He absolutely shut him out. And I believe he dropped him, too. I'm pretty sure that he dropped Postal once or twice in that fight. And he had Postal just running in the later rounds. He absolutely dominated Victor Postal. That win has aged very, very well. I mean, that's, you know, listen, man. Terrence Crawford's legit, ladies and gentlemen. All right. What a great freaking show, man. I hope you guys appreciated and enjoyed uh, having Stephen Breadman Edwards on here. Who knew that he went through that major, major struggle so recently? I'm so glad that he uh, kind of broke that publicly here on the show. That was a pretty awesome moment for us. So uh, have a great night, guys. And we'll do it again. Next week, all right? And then, uh, I don't know, maybe in between now and then, we'll do a couple rant videos. In September, we got the big Charlo doubleheader, and uh, we'll have, have plenty to talk about as that gets closer. All right, guys? So have a good one. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'll see you at the fights.